Yay. Hello, and again, welcome to Bit Depth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Hi, I'm Britt Olson-Ecker. So, who are you? What do you do? Who am I? Ooh, very good question. <laughs> um, I am... I do a lot of things. That's why I always write that in my bios. I say I do a lot of things. I am a musician. I'm a photographer, director, actor. I do videography, editing, um singing. Gosh, I think I've covered most of it. If I'm forgetting a few things, I'll sure. chalk it up to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course we've had you on here before, uh, with yes. Melissa and Outcalls. Yes. And, um, I've also had Melissa on already. So you yeah. get to know Melissa and now you get to know Brit. Um, Love it. Love so it. I guess, which of these things do we want to get started with? How, like, I guess, what was the first of these things that you like began doing? The first one I was definitely music. My mm. mother was a uh, jingle singer in New York City mm. uh, in the early days. Uh, she sang the Coca-Cola jingle. She did all types of jingles that you probably would recognize. And she would play her like demo tape in the car while we were um, doing trips and I would listen to that and sing everything back to her. And <laughs> um, that's how I started getting interested in music. And she always encouraged me to do all types of lessons, piano, voice, what have you. So she encouraged me to do lessons. It was, she was very supportive and my father was an artist. So they both really encouraged me to do art and never wasn't there was never a second thought of you know what we wanted to do or what I wanted to do in terms of that yeah so I I started taking piano lessons when I was 10 and then I started doing voice lessons in high school and once I studied and learned that it was fun and I had a good time and I was talented uh I wanted to pursue it in college and really when I went to Peabody, the Peabody Conservatory, my goal was to be a better singer. That was what I wanted to learn. There was no, I didn't have any lofty ideals of becoming this opera star or whatever star. I knew if I, <laughs> I, I knew I could do it if I really worked my ass off. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to learn how to sing better. And I certainly did. And because I had some, because I had a greater understanding of what I could do in the world, I really got to kind of explore all different types of genres of music once I graduated. Jazz, musical theater. I still did some opera. I directed some opera. So I really I really feel like music was a great window or it was a great door into all of the other stuff that I could do. Yeah. Arts-wise. Yeah. Um, so then how did you kind of start bleeding into the other arts, acting, directing, Right. Well, video? I always loved acting and I acted in high school. And once I got to Peabody, there was less acting, obviously more acting on, in opera. But opera acting is like there's a whole other world of <laughs> what that requires. It's mm. very different than your typical acting. So I always loved doing that in high school and I wanted to audition around school. So I did. I did all types of auditions. Uh, in the Baltimore area. And once I graduated, I kept auditioning and auditioning. And directing was kind of a, you know, kind of an easy, there was an easy foray into directing. There were plenty of directing jobs and people want um, 
directors who understand the arts. They want directors who understand opera and what it requires. So having performed an opera, that was very helpful for me to just have an understanding of what it required. And then photography kind of was random. My, my father did photography. I loved his film photography. And I wanted to kind of repli- replicate that. So I brought my camera to school. I started taking pictures of my friends and a business grew out of that. Mm-hmm. I did less film as time went on and more digital photography just because of how things have evolved in terms of that, uh, you know, medium. And from there, just, yeah, I just like throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what stuck for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess since there was never really like a, oh, I guess I'm going to start being a creative. Like at what point did you, I guess, solidify it? Like at what point did it become a career rather than just like what you're doing in college or whatever? Right. It's, I think with the, I realized like I could charge money. (laughs) and good money for photography, especially photography. That was the first sort of wake up call I had. I, at the, when I started, of course I was charging just for the film and the development. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't even charging for this, the, the, the time because I was like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, I don't want to be held responsible for, for messing up somebody's headshots. But then I was like, you know what? I'm good at this. I should be charging for my time. I should be charging, uh, you know, a little bit more than what I'm doing right now to cover costs and editing, which I'll have to learn and have to figure out eventually. Um, So, yeah, there was just this moment where the prices kept going up. And then I said, I can't walk down to the CVS that's time I need to charge for to get the, you know, I got my film developed at CVS. It was such, it was such a different time. <laughs> oh my God. Now I send my film to Kansas. That is like <laughs> a reputable place to get uh, developed. Um, and the, yeah, so the prices kept going up and then I thought I can charge different packages and I can, you know, if I'm going to do an event as opposed to headshots, if I'm going to shoot a wedding versus a live music event, I need different price points and, That sort of, that was the first, I remember the first week I earned over a thousand dollars doing photography and I was like working crazy hours. Of course, I probably was still charging like $75 a session. Hmm. Now I charge a lot more than that, (laughs) but I remember, I remember being booked really, really booked and earning that money and thinking, wow, this is, I can definitely keep doing this and I love doing it. So that's, it was a gift. It's really a privilege and a gift to be able to have that ability to charge money for your services. And people really love that. And they'll tell their friends. Yeah. How, how does your music and performance experience relate to how you do photography? Every, every single time. So there is a quote from Helmut Newton, Helmut Newton. He's a photographer. Yes. Helmut Newton. He says, to be a photographer is to seduce, amuse, and entertain. Hmm. And I remember finding that at the beginning of all of this and thinking, that's absolutely what I have to do. I have to make these people feel comfortable, even if they're super uncomfortable. And so many people are uncomfortable in front of the camera. I don't blame them. I'm the same way. But my job is to make them feel at ease. So the photos look 
like their best selves. So you put on a show. Even, you know, there are there have been times where I'm like feeling pretty awful or like something's going on and I can't really focus. And you have to turn it on for clients. You have to turn it on. You have to do your photos the right way. So for those sessions, it's so much more of a show. You know, you're like, okay, I really have to turn this on, make them laugh if they're not laughing, if they're not feeling it. Because when you sometimes, you know, when I I first got a client and I didn't know them, which is frequently, uh, especially if it was word of mouth and people, friends are passing along other friends' information. um, There are people who are very, very trepidatious with the camera. They don't like getting their picture taken. What, what have you. And it's so much of a, it's so much of a show to really ask them about themselves, get them to really open up to you and really get them to understand that you're where it's a really, it's a one-on-one thing. We're really working together. We're really trying to create a product together. Uh, that's going to really look good and and you'll trust that it looks good. So it's taken a long time sometimes in sessions to really get people to relax and open up. And once that happens, the photos are incredible and they look so much different than the first few where things are a little sketchy or tricky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having gone to school for music, you kind of were given all of the information versus whenever you started photography, you kind of learned things along the way. How is the learning process different between going to school and kind of being taught versus learning everything and picking it up yourself along the way? So many bad photos. (laughs) So many bad photos. And I will say I've, I've gone back and looked at some of the stuff that I've done and I say so many bad photos, but really I had already had a lot of practice early when I first got my film camera. I had had a lot of practice when I first got that when I was 16 doing some film and then I put it away for a while and then I brought it back four or five years later. But when I first got my digital camera, I was totally intimidated by this thing, this thing. And I'm still intimidated by them. There's so many settings and so many cool things that you can do in camera that are now the weed whacker is going. It's really a day. It's okay. <laughs> there are so many things. Okay. So anyway, digital, digital photography and this, uh, the camera was a gift to me. So I was really, really fortunate to have a, a, a gift of this really, really lovely digital camera and the zoom lens that I said, okay, this is what I'm stuck with and this is what I'm doing right now and I've got to figure this out. I still did film and use my digital camera because I was like, okay, film is my fail safe. Like I know how to do that, like the back of my hand. Mm -hmm. But the digital camera, I don't really know what I'm doing. And looking back, especially for some of the live music that I photographed where the lighting is different, you know, I always would love to, I always like to shoot outside. Um, and the lighting is very, it's easier. Some people will say, oh, it's super hard, but it's easier for me because, uh, natural light's always been very helpful. But when you're dealing with dark rooms and little, just a little bit of, um, lighting that's coming in and there's performance and there's movement, there are, there's all these new settings that you have to kind of learn how to do. And the best way to learn is to really fuck up a bunch and think about where, 
what you have to do differently and practice. And I would say yes to all of these gigs that people would say, do you shoot this? Do you shoot that? And I said, yeah, I do. Even if I hadn't had any experience, I said yes to everything because the only way you're going to get that experience is to do it. Even if you're like, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so saying yes was helpful. Yeah. Uh, this is a question that I'm kind of stealing from a different podcast, but uh, mm-hmm. I guess what's the best piece of business advice that someone uh, gave you or that you learned along the way? Best piece of business advice was to say yes to everything. Yeah. Well, not everything. You know, I, I say that, but also it's important to be able to know where your limits are sure. in that sort of sense. But to to always ask for more. And asking for more can mean asking for more money, asking for more accommodations. Um, don't be afraid to really value yourself as high as you think you can go. And I remember those first few sessions where I charged a little bit more or I, I, I redid my price list and I, I really took those prices up and I said, I'm going to lose some people. Some people are not going to be able to do these sessions with me anymore. But I was shocked at how many people said, yeah, I can afford this and I can do it and I want to do it. And those were the clients that I was realizing I need to work with those people. So that was a really helpful bit of business advice, actually from my mother, uh, who runs her own business herself, to just say, I'm going to ask for more. I'm going to ask for more. And if they say no... I lose, I lose, I lose it, but somebody's going to say yes. Yeah. Um, what's like one of the most nitty gritty, annoying, tiny detail things in photography that you feel like nobody either knows about or talks about. And it's just like one tiny thing that you're just so like happy that, you know, or that you're just proud of. Ooh, what I'm proud of or like a nitty gritty thing. That's a very good question. Um, let me think about this for a second. I wish somebody would have told me this or something that I'm proud of is that you don't need to be a gearhead to to take good pictures. Mm. And I remember having conversations with other photographers um, about what type of gear we would have or they would frequently ask me oh what do you shoot with or what sort of lenses are you working with and I was like a a, a camera and a lens (laughs) that I have yeah you know and they would and there was there I think that there's a misconception that you need to know all of these little details like that now you need to know what works best for you and that does take trial and error and that does take certain matching of gear for sure but I've learned the best way by renting things and seeing what works best for me and some people are like oh there's too much compression or there's you know the zoom is too much but I was shooting with a really really cheap digital camera when I first started and the photos were still used for many people's headshots they looked beautiful they looked great Um, and you don't need to be until you don't need to be a gearhead to really take good pictures. Yeah. You just have to have a good eye and a passion for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, what's been the strangest situation that you've shot for? The strangest situation. Ooh, there are so many. <laughs> I have to really think about this. Um, strangest situation. I always think of something and then later on when we're off the podcast, right, I think, right. oh, this was so much stranger. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of, let me think of a gig that was like, I felt like a real fish out of water. I, I mean, even it could be even recently. Um, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is a great one. I was thinking of a studio space because I've shot at many studios. I've had my own studio. I've rented hourly at studios. So I was in this amazing studio in the middle of Baltimore, the Bromo Seltzer Tower. I had this penthouse studio for uh, a year and a half. And after a while, I was like, the numbers aren't working. I need to find a new space. And there was a local Baltimore studio that was renting out their space hourly. And I was like, this is perfect. The price is right. I don't have to do any term, long-term lease. I can do really, you know, exactly what I need to do. I can yeah. pay a membership and, and rent. So I had a Thankfully, I had a friend of mine coming to do photos. It was going to be my first photo shoot in the studio. I was so excited. <laughs> and uh, I walked into the studio. The, the studio owner let me in. And they were they were going to sit in the studio and do their editing while I shot. And that's typical. Sometimes, you know, there are m- many people working in these sorts of studios. And so he let me in. And there was somebody asleep in the studio <laughs> just like asleep they were they were they were staying in the studio these were live workspaces too and they were asleep in the studio and i was like i have to do this session now thank god it's a f- a friend of mine <laughs> for a, a friend of mine from many years but I need to know when people are sleeping in the studio the next time I have people coming <laughs> who are clients who are paying me four to $500 for a headshot session. Right. Um, and so I, you know, there was, there was one time when I saw the studio and I was like, I don't know if it's the right fit. And then eventually it became the right fit and people weren't sleeping in the studio again, which was helpful. But that was the, what, that was a really strange situation because I was like, I've got to like put on my performance here and be the photographer that I've advertised and be loud and kind of <laughs> rambunctious, but there's somebody asleep and I can see them. They're literally right there. Yeah. So that was very strange. That was really weird. And then I was like, oh my God, like, of course I've signed up for this studio <laughs> membership and people are going to be sleeping in the studio when I need sure. to be shooting in there. Thankfully it didn't, ha- I don't think it happened again. If I did, if it did it, I blocked it out. <laughs> How'd those photos was, turn out? They turned out really good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> they turned out great. We were both kind of freaked out and you know everything kind of looked really every everything looked great hmm. as a result so i'm i'm very pleased with those results yeah. very funny um i guess switching gears more to yes. the stage um mm-hmm. i guess would have been what's sort of been your experience acting in uh, baltimore and all that sort of stuff baltimore there's a great acting scene in baltimore and once i graduated from school I was really interested in auditioning for the equity theaters in town. So there are two equity theaters. There's Center Stage, which is the State Theater of Maryland. And there's Everyman Theater, which is another equity theater. And equity auditions are hard because they're really not looked, they're not looking for um, performers who don't have an actor's equity card for Mm. their roles. So they need somebody in the union. Real quick. What does equity mean? 
Yes, Actors mm-hmm. Equity Union, which is the union of actors that they have. So they so typically with these union theaters, they have equity auditions, which they, you know, if you're an Actors Equity member, you can audition for those. And then they have like cattle calls. So all the other roles they need to fill or they just want to see who's around, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so I say equity, equity, equity. And, <laughs> and those are the two equity theaters. But Thankfully, there were so there are so many other theaters that were popping up around town by young and hungry people who wanted to start theater companies, myself included. I started a theater company with some friends right after I graduated. And these companies were producing excellent work. They were producing musicals, weird plays. So the acting scene at the time when I started to audition was really excellent and there were so many places that I wanted to audition for and I got roles didn't get roles at some I did rock operas I did puppet plays plays with puppets um musicals and I met so many great people and that's the beauty and that's the strength of the Baltimore theater scene is that you're meeting so many people who later on down the road will get headshots from you or recommend you for other shows or pass your name along to those theaters that are auditioning. But I learned a lot doing acting and auditioning and auditioning was always, always something that I really hated. Yeah. But you get used to it after a while, especially if you're, you do it and you have your monologues that you do. And you, if, if you hear about an audition tomorrow, you can, audition and without worrying about it because you've got your book together you know which monologues to pull Mm -hmm. so even now there's still so many great theaters in the baltimore area they're doing all types of work baltimore is full of theater that challenges you and makes you think and is um based in social justice and involves all all members of the community um and i'm not doing much acting at this point i feel like my acting need is very fulfilled doing my band out calls. So that's been kind of nice, especially because um, it's hard to earn a living doing acting in Baltimore city. Yeah. Um, That's actually one of my questions is how is performing your music without calls different from acting or is it different at all? It's different. It's certainly different in the fact that I don't need to learn my lines, so (laughs) to speak, or there's a, there isn't a director who's telling me where to stand Melissa and I, we both, we do that for ourselves. We, we have to learn our lines, right? We have to learn the music and we have to memorize the lyrics and we do all types of different levels of performance. Do we want to do lights? Do we want to do choreography for this? Um, and I've, it's been interesting because I've been performing without calls since 2016 or 2015. I think our first show was in 2015, technically. And I've acted in a few shows since then, but it's really fulfilled that need to be on stage. There's an audience that's loving it or not loving it. And it still <laughs> provides something that's like your Sunday matinee crowd. If they're not loving it, it's totally fine. Um, we do. Yeah. And, and it's a 40 minute show or it's 45 minutes or it's a three hour set, different levels of how long you have to be on stage and that's that's been really interesting because before I was doing shows every few months or I was doing plays or musicals or whatever. I was doing that every few months. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, of course, with COVID, everything is different. I don't feel the need to go out and audition for plays. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is there a character type or something that you always want to go for or tend to be cast for? Yes. Um, you know, ingenue or I, I don't know. I mean, I've played all types of characters. I've played, I remember one of the first roles I got in Baltimore was this like heroin addict who was a rapper. It was so crazy. It was such a fun <laughs> show and it was so different. And then any, and this was a funny show because, because it was based around photography hmm. and there was a character that was literally me. It was a <laughs> photographer. She was shy. She was living with this totally crazy person. She would shoot film. I was like, well, I'm going to be cast as this person. Like, <laughs> That's what's going to happen. And I was cast as the crazy heroin snorting rapper, <laughs> white girl rapper. You know, it was hilarious. And that was fun because that was the one of the first roles where I was like pretty sure I was going to be cast as this other, you know, other role. And then it totally, they totally changed it. And I remember asking the director, I was like, I thought you made a mistake. I really thought you were meant to cast me as the other thing. And he was like, no, that was absolutely what I wanted you for. Um, so I love the, I love being cast as whatever. And I think that's your strength as an actor is to be put in any sort of role and be able to really, really embrace that role and to take it to the next level. And there are certainly people who are typecast, and I think you see that a lot in film and sometimes on the stage. But that's what I mean. Certain actors that are film actors who play all the different types, that's a master class in what you can do as an actor. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I guess some of the side stuff like video and yeah. uh, film. So, like, I guess... Do you spend a lot of time doing those other stuff or do you kind of try and focus on your main things? I have started doing more video stuff, especially for out calls. And again, that's that's the sort of stuff where somebody will ask, oh, do you do video? Yeah, I do video. Okay, <laughs> no, I have to figure this out. But I really love editing that's something I've always done. I've, I used to do that at school too. I used to take stupid videos of all of my roommates at, in college and like edit them together. And I remember editing my first video and I think it took me three days yeah. to edit something that was like maybe 30 seconds. Long. <laughs> I'm sure it's on YouTube still lurking in the bowels of YouTube, <laughs> but video is just another fun experimental photo thing that I've really loved learning about and researching and doing the best practices for that. That sort of thing I could definitely charge money for, but I'm not like, I don't say, Oh, I'm a videographer. I charge for my video sure. services. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I probably could be, but if I shoot headshots for the rest of my life, I will be very happy. Yeah. That's really great. That's really, really what I love. And that's what I've been doing the most for the most time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, why, I guess, why creative? Why, you know, do something like this? And of course you grew up doing music, uh, but it's like, it is hard to, I guess, see it from another perspective and be like, well, why not just like be an accountant, which is like the default like job thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I never saw myself as anything else. Mm. And 
even now as an adult, you're still comparing yourself to other people. I grew up, I'm actually in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. My mom, my mom lives here and I'm, I'm speaking to you from the house I grew up in in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is one of the most affluent communities in the country, probably in the world. Hmm. And I was very fortunate to grow up here, very fortunate to go to a school that where the education was by most people's definitions, like a private school, though it was the public schools here. And my graduating friend, my friends who I graduated with and who were in my class are working for big businesses. They're doing hedge funds. They're doing, they're in finance, yada, yada, yada. But every and every time I talk to them and think, should I go to business school? Like, should I be a lawyer? I'm like, I don't want to go to school for this. I can't imagine going back to school right now. So there's one decision. Okay. I can't imagine that, but it was never my path. I really believe that it was never the path that I wanted to take. And I do thank my parents very much for telling me you can be whoever you want to be. And I will tell my son and my children that no matter where they go to school or what they study, you can be whoever you want to be eventually. Just because you go to school for one thing doesn't mean you can't be another thing eventually down the road. And so many of even my graduating class of Peabody colleagues, they're doing all types of things. Some of them have um, gone into different lines of work. Some of them are teaching not music at all. And I really admire that. I really think that that just goes to show you, you you learn really how to be a person and how to interact with the world in college. And even if you don't go to college and you just work, that's, you know, that's your intended path too. So yeah, creative, it's always been, it's always been my dream and it's a privilege to follow your dream. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess kind of a more broad question. Uh, Do you separate art from the artist? That's a great question. I think that I have for certain people and I haven't for other people. And, you know, I think like when I hear that phrase, do you, can you separate or do you separate art from the artist? I think of controversial subjects like Michael Jackson or other artists that have personal, have their personal lives have been a mess, but their art is fantastic and groundbreaking and brilliant. So there are times that I have, um, but other times where it's hard, really hard to do that. And you're listening to music or you're reading something and you, there, there's a thought in the back of your mind of, well, this person did this. And I remember even trying to watch a Tarantino film where Harvey Weinstein was the executive producer mm-hmm. and I couldn't get through the credits hmm. because his name was scrolling through it. And I thought, I'm not, I can't do this right now. I wasn't in a place to do it. Maybe eventually, maybe eventually. Um, but yeah, was there anybody specific who you were thinking of or even me? Like, yeah, that, that is kind of like the general idea of the question is going into separate kind of areas. And it's usually music because music is one of the ones that like, we have a lot of 
terrible people at times. So right. <laughs> certainly, yeah, definitely. And and those stories are still getting uncovered. And I remember like at the beginning of the Me Too movement and when all of these things were coming to light, telling myself that I have to say, I'm gonna have to prepare to say goodbye to my heroes, musically, uh, in literature, wherever it might be. And just to have to prepare to say goodbye to those people. And I think that I have for a lot of them. And, you know, if, if Michael Jackson comes up on a playlist, sometimes I'll skip it, sometimes I won't. It just depends on how actively I'm listening. Um, but yeah, there's there are terrible people that permeate all levels of our world, whether they're in the financial sector, whether they're in the arts. And I truly believe that for some of these, it's just only a matter of time which is why I have to tell myself, just prepare to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. But when those when those voids happen, there are other people to take place and mm-hmm. there are other people to listen to yeah. and there are other people to read and watch on TV. Yeah. And it just takes some looking and some real looking into yourself to say, I'm not going to settle for just listening to this. I'm going to see what's what else is out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And besides, there's more to enjoy from other things your everyone's favorite artist was once a local artist so exactly exactly <laughs> they had to start somewhere mm-hmm. so i guess last one on this front uh what advice do you have for people starting out that want to be a photographer or be an actor or be a musician what do I, what advice do I have? Just meet everybody you can, network with everyone you can, learn from those people. Also know when they're full of shit, which <laughs> is should be an easy thing once you kind of network with them and get to know them. Have mentors in each discipline. If you're doing all types of things, have people you can ask questions of who you love and trust and you can always go back to. And say yes to the gig. Yeah. And figure it out later. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I, I really, that's the best piece of advice is to just say yes to the gig, especially when you're starting out and you don't have that experience, right? People say, you know, oh, you know, for jobs, for example, they're like, you must have five years of experience. Apply for that job. A bunch of men are applying for that job. And this sometimes applies a lot to women because women are like, oh, I'm not qualified. Now I shouldn't do this. Apply for that job. And say yes to those gigs because you'll get the experience. You'll learn from the if you learn from your gig, and I'm sure you'll do a better job than you actually give yourself credit for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Switching gears, and there's no good way to switch gears. <laughs> uh, what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? This question, I was looking forward. To, I was looking forward to answering this question. So, spirituality and and all of that stuff so i was raised as an atheist my parents my mother's uh was raised jewish and my father i believe was you know i don't even know what he was <laughs> raised as but i know he went to church and i know his, his parents dragged him to church so when i was born i was never baptized i never did a bat mitzvah or anything but my parents really gave me a choice it all comes back to choice for my parents and very thankful for them. Um, they said, if you want to go to church, if you want to go to temple, if you want to do a bat mitzvah, if you want to do confirmation, you can do it. Let me know how we can, let us know how we can support you in that journey. And there were a few factors 
that led me to to not really opt in to that and say no. First, the first one being that because my parents were atheists themselves, that really influenced me. And so I reflect a lot on the fact that if I was raised in the church or if I was raised um, going to, to shul, would I have believed in this stuff? And that's a question I've really thought about a lot because I went on birthright um, to Israel last year and, you know, thought a lot about how I'm culturally Jewish and I still identify. I identify as a Jew culturally, but I don't practice. I don't go to synagogue. I don't do any of that. Um, so, so, so they were atheists and they were never like, this isn't real or, or that sort of stuff, but they told me what they believed in. And they said I could make my own inf- and, you know, determinations from there. Also, a determining factor was all of my friends had to go to synagogue or they had to go to church. And it just didn't seem like a fun place to be for them. (laughs) Yeah. And they were, they had to go because they had to go. And they had to do this because they had to do this. And I got, I was invited to bat and bar mitzvahs. So I got to see what that was all about. I went to church. I sang in some church services. So I saw what that was about. And it wasn't where I wanted to spend my Sunday mornings. I wanted to sleep. And I t- and let me tell you, I slept, I, I slept all day. I slept until like two o'clock. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I slept so much. So that... Now things have changed a little bit because I went to I went to uh, Israel in in January of 2019 and I met a bunch of like-minded peers who were feeling like maybe they weren't Jewish enough or didn't feel like they fit into this culture and Judaism I have experienced open arms I have experienced shut doors but I do identify as culturally Jewish so, so I will light the candles for a Friday um, Shabbat and I will light the candles for Hanukkah because I feel like that's important to pass down among generations, just what those traditions are. So things have changed a little bit for me, but for the most part, it's, it's still how I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What is your definition of God? God. Should I talk about what I picture God like or how I like whatever that means to you? God? Yeah. Okay. Whatever it means. Oh boy. I mean, I think a lot of people like me have have this like old white man with a long beard ingrained <laughs> in their head of what God looks like. Right. But, uh, you know, I think since having a son and since giving birth and being pregnant, I think God is a woman has mm-hmm. to be a woman if she exists and there's you know of course a little bit of you know my well i wonder if some there is some greater power you know i but i i really do feel like god doesn't exist and i remember actually i do want to talk about this so i remember when 9 11 happened and i remember feeling like if god if god existed they, he would never have let that happen and he wouldn't, and, I, and we were being in Greenwich, Connecticut, we're super close to New York City. And I remember going to um, our local beach and you can see, you could, you could see the Twin Towers from that beach. They were right there. And so many people, so many of my friends' parents worked in the city. My, my parents worked, uh, were going into New York that morning. 
And I remember thinking to myself that morning, if there was a God, God wouldn't have let that happen. And that was the kind of the final determination for me mm-hmm. on that front, which was, which I still think about every time I'm like, well, cause my husband, he's very spiritual. Um, and he was raised in the church and he's very spiritual, but that's kind of my thoughts on what that could be. Mm. There, was a, there was a lot, there was a lot to unpack in there and I'm yeah, sure I have no. packed all of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something that I, don't get to normally ask uh but since you are a mother uh yes do you want to raise your son and in a sort of openly religious or non-religious how would that work for I you i wanted to be open mm-hmm. and my husband and i have talked about this and he was talking about baptizing the child before he was born i mean we were talking about this before he was born but he was expressing interest in a baptism and blah, blah, blah. And I remember being very against that. Part of the reason was because, okay, if I'm going to be culturally Jewish, that's not how you do it, (laughs) you know, with being a Jew. Um, But also thinking about giving my child a choice like I had and not imposing any religion on the child before they can make a decision about what they want to do in their life. Um, I think I would like to show him, I say, I say, I like to show him the ways of the Jew. I would mm-hmm. like to light the candles for at Hanukkah and talk about what Hanukkah is. And I'd like to light the candles at Shabbat on Friday nights and talk about what that means and what it means to me, which is we take a break or what, what Hanukkah is for, for Jews and what, what that story is. And I'd like my husband to do the same and tell stories because so much of the Bible and so much of that, that's all stories. And I remember getting, I remember my mother buying me an illustrated Bible because I, I must have expressed some interest in learning about it because all of my friends, you know, were, were doing it. And I was like, okay, I got to gotta kind of know what this is and I want to learn the stories. And I remember those stories and being so fascinated by them and being so interested in some of these fantastical ideas and these ideas of magic and to what I perceived as magic and, and that sort of thing. So I want to expose, I want to expose my son to what religion is and what it means to me yeah, and what it means to my husband. And from there, try to give him a choice. And if he wants to be bar mitzvahed and if he wants to go to church, I want to support him in that journey. And, and I also want him to understand where I, well, how I've learned about it and where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I will continue to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> as that goes on. Um, talking so much about choice. Um, what is free will? Do you believe in free will? <laughs> free will. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I have to think about like what free will really means and freedom there, freedom is freedom free <laughs> free is free will like we think we've, we're thinking a lot about freedom these days um wow yeah i i think i believe in it <laughs> i'm gonna really think hard about that after we're done talking <laughs> 
you're Good. bringing this on me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think I'm going to have to really think about that. I mean, we've, of course, like that's such a freedom and free will. And I don't, you know, that's so much a part of the conversation right now with what's happening um, and what freedom means for people and what freedom means for white people as opposed to people of color and, and, and what, and free will, like having that option. Mm -hmm. I recognize that as a white woman growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut, free will means something very different to me than it means to so many other people Mm -hmm. and even so many other white people. And, and that, and that sort of awareness is something I really attribute to living in Baltimore city and meet and knowing people in my community and really living with those people and learning about them. So free will can be very constrained by your circumstances. Some people don't have choice. Yeah. I, and well, no, I, I believe that some people don't have choice and that, or they feel like they don't and they're, they're, they feel confined or they are confined or they're confined by poverty or they're confined by racism. And there's so much to think about there. Bible. Do I believe in it? Absolutely. Can it be accessed by all? I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I'm glad or I like how you parse that out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I, I, I had to talk through it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, since you had sort of wanted to talk about this, um, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? I know. And it's just great because we talked about faith and we talked about religion and all of that stuff. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about this because... I think that we need to talk about death as much as we talk about life. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that as a society. Death is so taboo. And of course it is because nobody, it's a horrible thing to think about, especially, well, well, it's a horrible thing to think about because that's what we have been taught. Exactly. That is what we have been conditioned to do and to think, right? It's horrible. It's horrible. But death is such a part of life. And I had a real experience with death, not my own death, but my father's death that I've never really publicly talked about. So he died five years ago uh, after a long illness and my mother and sister and I watched him die at the long, at the end of his, at the end of his illness and how that part of his life was so important to closing out his his very long illness and his life and also how talking about death is important is needs to be more in the medical community it and there's palliative care now of course there's hospice care which is making people more comfortable with the ends of their lives and, and talking about that in the conversations with them and with their families but having that end of life plan and and what you want to do and how you want to die with dignity. I, you know, I think that my my sister, my mother my, and I and my, my husband have all had conversations that are very honest after witnessing that. And we should all have that with our families. Yeah. Um, but back to the question of what happens when you die. I really think that's it. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I remember in 
learning in physics in high school that I, I, I might be making up stories, but I remember my, my teacher saying all of the matter and all of the energy that started at the beginning of earth is still with us. All of that same, uh, you know, all of that matter and energy. And so, you know, what happens, Danny, we talk about souls, right? What happens to your soul when you die? Mm. My father was a prolific painter. He was an artist. He left behind a lot of art, like so much art that they're still in boxes in certain parts <laughs> yeah. of this house. Um, so in terms of his soul, if we're really getting like deep into that, you know, I don't know if his soul has gone into another dimension. I doubt it mm. as an atheist. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he's in heaven. I don't believe he's in hell. I like to think that his energy is in his paintings and that sort of good, good energy is there and that we get to see that sort of stuff. Um, you know, when we look at his art, but where you go, nowhere, Hmm. that's it. I do believe that. Yeah. I think I might make that a permanent question on the podcast because that's really good. You should. <laughs> you should. I think you should. I think that's a really, it's a, it's a, it, it really makes you think about your life and where, where you want to go and yeah. how to think about it. Definitely. Yeah. How do you determine what good behavior is? Good behavior. Integrity. Honesty. Um, being honest with yourself, even if you're not completely honest with other people. And I'm, I'm a Scorpio, so I, I'm very secretive about everything in my life. (laughs) Um, but being honest with yourself and making sure you understand your own behavior before you start analyzing other people's behavior. Um, how do you, Say the question again. How do you determine what good behavior is? How do I determine what good behavior is? Yeah, I just, I think when people really open themselves up to you, which can take time, of course, that honesty can really, you know, make a difference. Um, Is somebody living authentically? Hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, Is somebody living... What are their circumstances? What are what is this person's circumstances, and how is their behavior directly affected by those circumstances? Um, because what's authentic living? I feel like living authentically is such a calling card for white people. Like, <laughs> live your best self. It's like some people can't do that. Mm. Truly. Um, good behavior is friendships. Good behavior is knowing which friendships to keep and to not maintain. I've been really reflecting on some old friendships of mine and what those mean to me. And if we're still hanging on just because we were friends once in high school, of course, with the proliferation of social media, it's like, my gosh, how many Facebook friends do I have that I've never talked to? And do are those friends? Yeah. Don't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah good behavior you have to give me this list of questions after we're done so i can think about them sure more. yeah definitely <laughs> um 
what do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? This is a very deep question, <laughs> especially for right now, right? What is humanity heading towards? I think we are heading towards a collective inhale and exhale of what really matters to us in this world. We are grappling with uh, a really scary time, both politically, uh, health-wise, mentally, and I hope that this will, what we're seeing now in terms of people talking openly about mental health, people talking openly about death, life, religion, whatever it is, will really open more conversations up and open more, but let people be more honest about how they feel and not so scared about how they feel about certain things. But for me, this has really shown me what I care about. I mean, this our current times, or it's really showing me what I want to focus my energy on. Yeah. Part of that is spending every moment with my son who's seven months old and making those moments count. Some of that is focusing on music, writing music, writing, um, just sitting down at the piano and taking that time and really thinking about how I want to spend my days. Yeah. 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 Um, and okay. So one more kind of down question before I start going upwards. Uh, (laughs) do you believe humans are evil by nature? Ooh, I think humans have evil tendencies, but I don't believe that. I think people are generally good Hmm. and I, but I think that they learn evil behaviors. Yeah. Right. And we, and I think that people learn, you're not born a racist, you learn that behavior. You're not born um, with hate in your heart. I don't believe that. Now, on the other hand, there are terrible mental, um, there are terrible problems that people have with their brains that lead them down that path, whether or not they learn that or or not. Um, but no, I really, I like, I like to think that people are good, generally. Yeah. Now, every I feel like I've got evil behaviors for <laughs> sure that I've learned and cultivated over time. But that's that's a true belief of mine. I do think most people are good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So now moving upwards, uh, what are you optimistic about for our future or your future? What are we? Yeah, <laughs> I'm optimistic that we'll all figure it out. And that's kind of been like the COVID theme. Like, <laughs> we'll figure this out. We'll, we'll figure it out as a society. We'll figure it out individually. And that's, I've talked about that with my husband. I've talked about that with Melissa. Like, it's okay to have taken time to process trauma of everything being on hold. It's okay to focus right now on uh taking care of your family and not creating art and not taking this time to learn a new skill. Oh my gosh. If anybody else tells me that I'll have a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Um, but I, my, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to figure this out. And I think, 
I'm even more hopeful and optimistic that we're seeing such fervor and vigor from younger generations, younger than me, that are fighting for equality and they're fighting against racism and they're they're not saying okay you know that's the news cycle has changed this isn't a deal a big deal anymore they're still protesting they're still trying to figure it out yeah and i feel like with each day we're gonna see more people who are coming into the sphere of whatever who are hold are going to give people hope and hope is hope. Okay. So back to like death, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you're like, what is she going? Where is she going with this? (laughs) So my father, we had decided that my, uh, my father's doctor was going to come tell my father that he didn't have much longer to live on a Friday. And my father then died that following Monday. So he lived for another three days. And I believe that hope is what keeps people alive Hmm. in big ways. My father's hope was that he wanted to do a final painting trip. He wanted to get well enough to do a final painting trip. And once that door was closed, that was it. Hmm. His body was just like, well, what what else is there? If If that was the hope that I had, right? Your hope is to get better. Your hope is to get better enough to go on a trip. And if that hope is gone, so hope is keeping me alive for sure for, yeah. for certain things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What makes you content? What makes me content? My son makes me content music, creating music and having like those bursts of creativity mm-hmm. makes me content. Um, cooking makes me content. Um, telling jokes with my husband makes me content. Um, travel makes me content. Um, hanging out with family makes me content. Um, having my best friend as Melissa Wimbish makes me content. (laughs) There are so many things that make me content. And this has been a really good practice because now I'm thinking about all those wonderful things. Yeah. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, when will you be satisfied? Never, never. (laughs) I feel like that's such a great, that's such a great question. Satisfaction is so hard. And I'm working on this, I'm working on new songs for out calls. And every time I listen to the track, there's something else to be changed. Mm. And even listening to our previous recordings that have been mixed, mastered, reproduced, that are out there in the ether. There are times that I'm like, this is excellent and there are other times where i'm like well maybe that could have been changed did i sing that right oh my mm-hmm. god oh my god that's sort of thing. but <laughs> yeah satisfaction i feel like that's a great question because there are so many things that i am satisfied with but at the same time to keep to be completely satisfied is not to live mm-hmm. you have to still yearn for things and make changes to your life and keep that question going of well when keep when will i be satisfied when uh, maybe that never will happen and that's okay yeah (laughs) i think that's okay i think that's an okay way to be yeah two more questions for you yay 
What advice do you have for people in general? What advice do I have for people in general? Take risks. Hold on to your friends and family. Those are the most important things in life. I really believe that. And especially after experiencing um, my father's um, untimely death and, and deaths of friends, it's like life is way too short. And I was the most apprehensive of having a child. And I, I have not shared it widely. I have not posted about it on social media, which, you know, cause we follow each other now on social. Like I haven't posted, I haven't like shared it at all because I'm so terrified um, of repercussions in my life, but my God, I am so happy that I had my son and life is too short to wonder if you should do things sometimes like that and just to just do it. Yeah. Just take Nike's advice and just do it. <laughs> so that's some good, that's some good advice. Yeah. And lastly, potentially the most important cake or pie. Pie, apple pie, <laughs> apple pie. Oh my gosh. I had a birthday party when I was younger and my mother bought me an apple pie and stuck candles in it. That was one of my top birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Britt, thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh my gosh, thank you. I loved the questions and I can't wait to listen. Yeah. Uh, where can hey. we find you and all your things? Oh my gosh. Uh, go to my website, which is brittolsonecker.com and there are links to photography, app calls, social media handles where I mostly complain about things. Because what's <laughs> social media for? Right. Except not to complain. <laughs> um, so you can find all that stuff. And then of course, Band is outcallsband.com where you can see all that stuff. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, it's been a really special conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Britt Olson Ecker. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. Bloom is available now, streaming everywhere. Put it on in the background, put it on your workout playlist, show it to your friends so you can all enjoy it together. You can also buy the album and get bonus content to get a bit deep into the emotions you can feel with it. I also make music with Power Cycle, an experimental electronic trio. Our first album is completely improvised. It's called Too Many Damn Cables. It's streaming everywhere. More to come from Power Cycle in the future. To support this podcast, leave reviews, comments, tell your friends about it, and buy my music because by supporting me, you're supporting the podcast. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong. <laughs>